Hello, everyone. This is Raise Your Voice as part of the D-Rays Bay Podcast Network. I am your host, Brett Rutherford, and I'm joined today by Danny Russell to catch you guys up on what's going on so far this offseason and really take a look into the decision to decline Charlie Morton's 2021 option. But Danny, first off, how are you? How's your offseason been going so far? You know, with the benefit of time, I do feel a little bit better. I just feel appreciative for the World Series run that we had. You know, I I had the opportunity to be on a ton of podcasts with you over that uh, stretch of weeks. And I still come back to just being grateful to lose to a very good team. And it only hurts because the games were so close. Yeah, they were. And yeah, like you said, those those podcasts, it feels like uh, so long ago, but it's just been a couple of weeks. A lot has happened. Um, and this episode really is going to focus on Charlie Morton in, in that decision and kind of kind of how it's going to shape the, the offseason moving forward. But this is Raise Your Voice. We do want to catch up all of our listeners on, on what's been happening. And there, there were a bunch of other roster moves that kind of took place uh, right after the season ended. So first off, Aaron Loop is coming off the roster. He is a free agent, uh, a guy that uh, was a non-roster invitee. Um, way back when in spring training 1.0, didn't think he was ever going to make the roster. He stayed on the roster all throughout the regular season and the postseason. 25 innings pitched, a 2.52 ERA in the regular season for Aaron Loop. He is now a free agent. Kevin Smith was placed on waivers. He was kind of the, the third catcher uh, for the Rays this year. He only had 38 plate appearances, but in those 38 plate appearances had a 135 WRC+. Plus. Uh, he will be a free agent. Mike Zanino, another guy whose option was declined. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about Zanino today, too. Um, 84 plate appearances for Zanino this year. 65 WRC+. plus. He'll be a free agent. I'm not really sure what's going to happen there. There's a chance the Rays bring him back. Andrew Kittredge, another guy who missed most of 2020 with an injury. Uh, he was placed on waivers. He will become a free agent. Only pitched in eight innings in 2020. But in 2019, played a pretty big role in the bullpen. 49 and two-thirds innings out of the bullpen. Had a 4.17 ERA. Chaz Rowe, another reliever who, despite not playing much in 2020, was still a big part of the Rays' bullpen going back to 2019. Uh, he also missed with an injury. Becomes a free agent. Back in 2019, he had 51 innings pitched out of the bullpen. Uh, 0.9 wins above replacement, according to Fangraphs, and a 4.06 ERA. And the other catcher, we've already mentioned two, but Michael Perez, he's placed on waivers. He's claimed by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, he, he had a pretty poor year at the plate. 93 plate appearances, 237 on base percentage, 35 WRC, uh, WRC plus. So not great for Michael Perez. He was claimed by the Pittsburgh Pirates, so he'll get another chance. Uh, and then obviously Charlie Morton, whose $15 million 2021 option was declined. Before we get into the Morton discussion, the Rays did add Cody Reed, Yanni Chirinos, Colin Pache, and Jalen Beeks back to the roster from the 60-day day, 60 day IL. And Rodolfo Sanchez was sent to the Philadelphia Phillies as a player to be named later. Uh, for, that comes from the, the Edgar Garcia trade um, back from earlier this year. We've, seen, we've last seen Rodolfo in Hudson Valley, who is no longer a Rays affiliate. Uh, that's kind of breaking news today, uh, back in 2019, where he made 13 starts for them and had a 3-4-1 ERA. So he's headed over to Philadelphia. But yeah, the Rays 40-man roster currently sitting with 39 players on it, so there's room to add one more. Um, Danny, uh, we're going to talk about Charlie Morton, but any other you know big moves or, or any of those moves that stick out to you? going into the offseason and how the Rays are kind of framing the moves that, that need to be made. 
Yeah, it's certainly a money thing. And I would like to think that of those names, uh, the two most likely to come back are Zanino and Morton. And uh, saving Morton for later, Zanino was due like four million. And honestly, that feels like the kind of move where the Rays are probably going to try and just bring him back at two million or something like that. Knowing that the market is going to depress all of the salaries, Zanino is a Florida guy. He knows the pitching staff. He probably is not going to get a significantly better deal than that, unless some team out there, maybe a team that wants to bolster their their situation or get their uh, young starting pitchers a veteran. Like I could see that situation maybe coming through, like a Detroit or something like that, where you're just saying, hey, I need a vet with some good defense that can really help mentor uh, our pitching staff. Like maybe that happens, but Zanino's track record is not long enough despite a great defensive performance in the postseason. And, uh, you know, he lives locally, his whole family uh, and all his kids live pretty close by. So I imagine he stays at Tampa Bay Ray. Uh, the only one of those that is, is tough to lose from on the field perspective is Aaron loop who we, yeah. we went up and down on our evaluations of him through the playoffs uh, in terms of uh, how Kevin Cash's use of him reflected his value. But objectively he was a high leverage pitcher for a very good Tampa Bay Rays team. So to lose him means you need to backfill him with somebody else. Chaz Rowe never became a high leverage pitcher, even though he became a highlight reel pitcher, it was not uh, ever really the high leverage coming together. I would love to see some other organization kind of like back up the truck a little bit and give him some more money than the Rays were willing to offer. Uh, because they clearly looked at Chaz Rowe being worth 2 million and said, you're coming off Tommy John, no thanks. But if you could, uh, if you could sign him to a couple year deal or something like the angels, you know, coming in and or, or an organization like that, that's looking for someone who can add like a medium leverage um, complexity. I, I, I have high hopes for Chazro on the open market. I don't think he's going to stay array. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we, I don't want to get too into the weeds here. We're going to have a, a state of the roster episode coming up probably next week. Um, but going back to, to Mike Zanino, you look at the catching market this year. There's a lot of catchers out there as free agents that have big league experience that you can get as a free agent this year. And outside of JT Realmuto, none of them are really great. And I know that's usually the case with the catching market. There's one or two guys that are, you know, highly sought after. And the rest are kind of all the same, somewhat not great hitters. Some of them are much better defenders. So Zanino's a guy, again, like you said, if the Rays can get him back for cheaper, I think they'd love to have him back. But... If, if another team goes out and offers him a few million dollars and the Rays can get a cheaper option, I, I think that's something they, they might look into and they might be interested in. And the, the more interesting part is the Rays, besides Ronaldo Hernandez, who has never played in a big league game, don't have a catcher on the 40-man roster. So that is yeah. obviously a, a position of need and a position they're going to have to bring guys either back, Kevin Smith and Mike Zanino, or, or find some, some other options because obviously Michael Perez was already claimed by the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, but, but Danny, you mentioned money, and you mentioned we, we obviously know that Charlie Morton, um, after the 2018 season, the Rays brought him in on a two-year, $30 million contract with an option for 2021 valued at $15 million. So he Morton was great through the first two years of that contract. Um, I, I, I tried to do some quick math. I thought he might be towards the top of the Rays' leaderboard in playoff innings pitched. Uh, he's got mm-hmm. 30 innings pitched, which I believe, I have it on my whiteboard, makes him sixth highest. I thought he was going to be maybe like top two or three. Um, but Shields, it felt like it. Yeah, Shields, Price, 
Snell all haven't beat, and so does Matt Garza and Tyler Glass now. They've both accumulated more innings than, than Charlie Morton. But the big games that Charlie Morton pitched in really did make it feel like he has been such an immense pitcher for the Rays, even though he's only been here for two years. He was a finalist in the AL Cy Young voting in 2019. He was an all-star that season. He finished with 6.1 wins above replacement, according to fan graphs. And even though he's only been here for two years, this is one of the best race starting pitchers of all time. And that makes this decision to decline his option an interesting one, Danny. It has to be a money thing. And anything short of bringing Charlie Morton back again uh, with just a restructured contract or something that spaces out the payments to him over time, if he's willing to pitch for the raise again and you don't re-sign him uh, for maybe even more than $15 million at this point, his value is astronomical for a World Series caliber team. You can't just move on from Charlie Morton unless you're willing to dish out some serious prospect uh, uh, payment to, to acquire something else. You, Charlie Mortons don't grow on trees. Definitely not at $15 million a year. There are some out there, but you've got to pay them a lot more than what Charlie Morton was owed to do to be paid in 2021. Um, but, I mean, there's also a chance that he decides to, to hang it up. Yeah, but I, I think we'll have an opportunity at the end of this podcast to kick it to Charlie Morton and let him speak for himself. Uh, before World Series Game 6, he uh, spoke to the media, and it was actually a pretty casual conversation. Uh, listener, you'll you'll hear in a minute uh, where Mark Topkin speaks first. He's like, hey, Charlie, how's it going? He's like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> as if it, everyone's just kind of uh, shooting the crap a little bit um, and, and not this thing incredible high leverage moment of the world series um charlie morton cool as a cucumber though and just honestly taking stock of his career and the moment that he's in and the pitching shape that he's in it and the desire to pitch again and i think he makes it pretty clear that he wants to pitch again he wants to pitch for the rays again and i think it's just a money thing before this season the rays renegotiated morton's contract and the terms of that were not publicly known yeah but whatever the original enough. situation was, uh, going into 2020 and knowing that it was a shortened season, the third option had to do with days on the injured list over the course of his contract. It, the Rays could save money over time. However, that doesn't come into play because Morton was healthy. <laughs> um, but I, I really hope this is just a way to renegotiate or space out the payments in a different way. Because anything other than that, he'd have to retire for me to not think the Rays have massively screwed up. Right, and I, I still believe uh, if, if you've got three outcomes here, most likely is Charlie Morton returns, pitches for the Rays in 21. Then the second most likely would be that, that he retires, and then the least likely out of three outcomes would be that he signs with another team. With that being said, when you decline the option, and we don't know the discussions that are going on be, be, uh, you know, behind closed doors between the Rays and Charlie Morton and his representation, but the least likely outcome would be that he signs with another team. But when you decline that option, that outcome is like now possible. You know, if you, if you right. accept the option, you pick it up, he's on the roster. He either retires or he comes back. And he said, and, and we're, and we're going to hear from him, but he, he kind of, this is kind of an ongoing story with him throughout the season, uh, going back into February when, when he knew this was the last year that was, that was guaranteed on his contract. Um, but he, he said that maybe, you know, if, if the protocols and if the pandemic uh, is, is still ongoing to where he will have to avoid seeing his family, that might be a decision that that he has to make or a discussion he has to has, have with, with his family. Um, but 
then, and we're going to hear from him in just a second, he said, you know, if, if, if they'll have me, I'd, I'd love to pitch. And yeah. the now, Rays are so fortunate that this is a pitcher who wants to pitch for the Rays. That's not always the case that the Rays pursue a, an elite free agent that they want to come to Tampa Bay. DJ LeMahieu did not want to come to Tampa Bay. Charlie Morton did. If this were any other situation or any other pitcher who wasn't so uh, critically thinking about, I want to live close to my family uh, and all of his kids, uh, we might be in a situation where the Yankees or the Red Sox would be so well poised to come in and pay Charlie Morton what he's worth. And just being honest, he's worth so much more than $15 million. It is regardless of a pandemic and changed revenue streams. It is bananas to think about not wanting to pay Charlie Morton 15 million. So this has to be a handshake deal situation where the Rays are going to bring it back. I can't imagine you, what else. You hope so. But you know, what if the Braves come calling and, and their new spring training facility is not too far from his home in Bradenton and they don't play, they only play a few hours, you know, North of the Florida Georgia line. What if they offer him one year, $20 million? Charlie Morton started his career with the Atlanta Braves. I'm not saying this is going to happen. This is just me kind of spitballing here, mm-hmm. but we don't know what's happening behind closed, closed doors. When you make that a possibility, which is what the Rays have done, uh, money can talk. And I know Charlie Morton, he's going to be 37 years old. He did spend a little bit of time on the IL uh, this past year with some shoulder inflammation, but was just fine when he came back. Um, that, you know, he's still a very good pitcher. And, and like I said, uh, there, there are pitchers out on the free agent market this year that are as good as Charlie Morton but you're not going to get him for $15 million. And the Rays could have had Charlie Morton for $15 million. But, but Danny, I kind of want to talk a little bit more about Charlie Morton as a Rays player. In- well, well, just before we do that, one, one other thought on the handshake. What I would love for this situation to be is that the Rays and Charlie Morton and his agent have already lined up the new contract. I hope so. And they're just sitting on it. Again, gentlemen's agreement. We're going to wait here because the roster is currently at 39 players. In a couple of weeks, the Rays are going to have to add even more to that roster in order to uh, save players from the Rule 5 draft. Um, there, there's, there's a roster crunch coming up. And to add Charlie Morton right now would be the 40th man. And then you can't add any of those prospects who need to be put on. And there are pieces that can come off, and we'll save that conversation for maybe next week. Uh, you know, you don't need to her, hold, uh, firmly grasp Brian O'Grady, if you will. But... <laughs> Uh, I, w- I would really like to think that Charlie Morton is uh, just hanging on because he's already got the contract in front of him and, and they'll get it all signed once the roster is cleared up. Uh, okay, I've got a question for you about Charlie Morton. And yep. obviously we don't we don't think this is it for Charlie Morton in a raised uniform. Um, but as things stand, is Charlie Morton the best free agent signing the Rays have ever made? Oh, for sure. Unless you want to get into things like Car- was Carlos Carlo- Pena? Free Carlos agent? Pena was brought in on a minor league My, deal, but it was a minor league, yeah. So like you'd have to go back to James Loney or <laughs> some situation. <laughs> Johnny Damon had a good year. I mean, there uh, he was an okay player. But what Charlie Morton has done, and in the moments that he's done it in, you go back to the 2019 wild card game in Oakland uh, where he pitched like five shutout innings. Uh, he pitched ten innings. 10 innings in that postseason and only gave up like one or two. Well, I think it was one run. I think it was one run. Yeah. Yeah. And then 20 innings pitched in this postseason, 270 RA, 10.35 K per nine. I mean, he was awesome. In game seven of the ALCS, which you had some amazing moments game five of the ALDS, game four of the World Series. 
that are going to go down in all-time Rays lore, uh, but another Game 7 of the ALCS that Charlie Morton was on the bump for that the Rays won on, in, in large part because of how he pitched. Yeah, I think Carlos Pena, maybe there's an argument. I know it was a minor league deal, but Charlie Morton, what he's done over two years, uh, yeah, I, I, I would uh, I would agree that he has to be the best free agent the Rays have ever brought in. And, and, and one of the sightings that I think was, was kind of not like the Rays, and you mentioned it, not many pitchers, especially of his caliber, are saying, hey, I want to sign with you. And yeah, the only other pitcher who's done that is Jose Fernandez. And he unfortunately, yeah, uh, you know, passed on. It's incredible what he's done. And it was one of those signings that, that when when it happened, it, it was shocking. And to see what he's done. And, and I know I, we, we missed a full season of Charlie Morton in 2020. Only like 38 innings pitched in the regular season, partly because he was on the IL and also because of the 60 game season. So, yeah. Uh, and, and this year, it's so tough because when you could when you compare and contrast 2019 and 2020, this is an elite pitcher The there are differences. And I, I do think we can own those because to go back and just remember what full season 2019 Charlie Morton was, it was elite. Yeah. And it wasn't just yeah. all like, oh, he's got a, an incredible curveball. Like all of the expected results when you go into the advanced metrics, whether that's expected weighted on base average or, uh, you know, looking at his barrel percentage allowed, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he was like top 10% and like exit velocity across all hits for a full season, which is incredible. Uh, this was a, uh, an amazing pitcher in 2020. It took a while to kind of get things up and rolling again. The, the, the pitches themselves were fine. The curveball spin was still elite, but he didn't have the exact same, you know, his exit velocity in 2020. I happen to know is it was 29th percentile. So that's not great. <laughs> he was giving up some hard hits, but he was also cutting back on his walks. His strikeouts were still there. And it was, it was more just kind of like spring training for him in August. He put together uh, an incredible postseason run again. And I mean, as you said, five, the five pitches were all on in that game seven. I just remembering and thinking back on how incredible and lights out that performance was. He is one of the greatest postseason pitchers of all time. Yeah. Winner take you, all games. He's got four wins. I think that's correct. You, you pay the man. It's that simple. And when you, and the most recent pitching performance is game three of the world series. That wasn't bad. Yeah. He gave yeah. up a, a home run to Justin Turner. Okay. And then um, the third inning is where things kind of got away from him. And he struck out Austin Barnes. He struck out Mookie Betts. And then Corey Seager uh, got hit by the pitch barely, right? And then that's where things just kind of got away. He gave up a double and a single and a few runs scored. And that, that kind of became the night. And he was getting the ball in game seven, if we had seen he, For sure. And that... <laughs> Honestly, if it goes to game seven, I feel like the Rays win just because Charlie Morton is elite in high even, leverage games. Even though they're facing Walker Bueller. Um, yeah, I do. I like, like I said, you wouldn't want to give the ball to anyone else. I, I do want to get into, and this is a word that we hardly ever use, maybe never use on this show, uh, mm. the intangibles. What oh. Charlie Morton brings to the Rays locker room. He was the oldest player on the team, definitely the oldest pitcher. And in some ways, now he's not the traditional, like, throw chairs around in the locker room when you're in a losing streak type of guy in the clubhouse. Um, but a, a, a guy that pitchers want to talk to, want to learn from, and you look at the rest of the Rays pitching staff and how incredibly young they are, 
to have a guy like Charlie Morton, who's going to be 37 years old, in the locker room. And you go back to when they reported this to summer camp this year, how Charlie Morton said he was the guy doing all the research on COVID-19 and all the steps that him and his teammates could take to, to avoid being exposed and to avoid contracting the virus. Like that, he was a raise a leader, and he has been over the last couple of years. Losing him w- w- would definitely would definitely hurt, I believe, the the, the clubhouse vibe. I- I'll say that. Yeah, he's not the loudest guy in the clubhouse for sure, but he is one of the smartest people in the room, and he is a teacher. Uh, it's it's reminiscent of when the race had James Shields, right? James Shields is a bigger personality. Let's be honest. <laughs> but um... Fuego James, big game James. Big game. He's, it's actually, it should be big Morton. game Charlie Morton. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I mean, he earns the freaking. Yeah. It, and all the players wear the shirts, obviously, in admiration and awe of what Charlie Morton brings. But it's also so rare among all free agents to pick up guys like Charlie Morton who are so accustomed and attuned to the Rays way of using advanced metrics to apply uh, an approach to the game. I've had the opportunity to talk to Morton in the clubhouse uh, about his curveball usage, for instance, and how once he came to the race, the curveball became his primary pitch. And if you, there's a lot of pitchers, even pitchers for the race that you try to talk to them about, uh, you know, pull up some graphs or something on your phone and go through them together. They would never do that. Charlie Morton was willing to look at graphs on my phone of pitch effects and discuss his curveball in detail and walk through it as if he were the pitching coach, as if he were Kyle Snyder. And it's just a different breed. He is a raised pitcher through and through. There is no alternate reality where he does not pitch for the Tampa Bay Rays. I just can't imagine it. So what what we're saying, and and, uh, Mr. Neander, I I know you're listening. Uh, Sign Charlie Morton. Bring him back. Whatever it takes. Uh, Mr. Neander, I already know that you've negotiated. It's just sitting there. I can't imagine another <laughs> reality. To right. not bring Charlie Morton back would be a massive failure, a dereliction of duty. It would be a fireable offense in my brain. I can't imagine it. Right. And, and we say that like not out of fear. We say that out of confidence that Charlie Morton is going to be brought back. That is the most likely outcome if he decides to, to play again in 2021. So, if the ball we didn't is... have the postseason... If we just had this weird shortened 2020 and all you got was a regular season, Charlie Morton for nine games in in the shortened COVID year, you would wonder like, was that the end of, was that just kind of like a whimper at the end of his career? And it just wasn't the same. You could think that, but then we saw what he was able to do in the postseason. Charlie Morton is still very capable of being an elite pitcher. Yeah. I don't take any stock into the 2020 regular season. If you look game by game, he wasn't as sharp as he was in 2019, but he, you know, he, he pitched he pitched pretty well, and then obviously turned it up in, in the in the postseason. But yeah, with, with that being said, I mean, we're gonna throw it over to Charlie here in a second. Um, his press conference from not too long ago, and you guys can hear from him. We'll let that roll on to to kind of uh, finish off this episode. Um, but but Danny, thank you for hopping on today, and we've got a lot of great off season content um, ready to go for for the podcast. We're gonna have raise your voice. We're gonna have the hit show. Back to regularly scheduled programming after we went through a whole month of the D-Rays Bay Playoff Podcast Series, which hopefully we get to bring back next October. But Danny, thank you for hopping on. You got it, man. Awesome. So we're here. We're going to listen to Charlie Morton talk about his future in baseball. From Mark. Hey, Charlie. How you doing? Hey, Mark. 
you um, you spoke very poignantly in San Diego about your future. Um, you've got a lot bigger thing in front of you here, but have you given any further thought to tomorrow could be your last game and you don't know if there will be a tomorrow? Yeah, I mean, I've been I've been thinking about it. Like I, I, I played catch with Snides yesterday. We had an off day. We, I came in and um, yeah, I got a chance to play catch with him. And yeah, I, 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 yeah, I don't know. Like, will it be the last time I put on a uniform? Will it be the last time I put on a raised uniform? Um, hopefully not to both of those questions. Um, but, you know, it just goes back to the situation, what it's looking like in this off season and in the next year. So, uh, but yeah, certainly, um, yeah, I've just, I've just been trying to enjoy baseball um, and be around, being around the guys and having this opportunity. Uh, gotcha. And, and can you quantify how hard you'll be rooting tonight for there to be a game seven so you do get to get on the mound? <laughs> Um, I just want, I just want the guys to feel whatever the outcome, I just want the guys to feel really proud of themselves, everything that was accomplished this year, um, how we conducted ourselves as a group, uh, and, you know, and, and, and also the performance in, in the postseason, just, just even be here, uh, you know, it's it, it's been pretty awesome because it's, it's just, I just feel like a lot of the guys or most of the guys, if not all the guys in there have had a special moment at some point this year. And um, so it's been a, like I said, it's been a real honor to, to be part of this. And, you know, going into tonight, um, win or lose, I'm just really proud to be part of this group. Harley, when uh, did you first hear about spin rate and uh... – how much do you think it's it's helped you uh, in the, I would assume the, the second half of your career? Or so, uh, well, I didn't know it at the time, but I had a really high spin rate on my curveball this whole time. Um, once they start, once once they st once the Statcast era started, um, I remember it's probably like 2013 or so. Um, we had MLB Network on, and they were talking about the spin rate on curveballs. Um, and I looked up and lo and behold, there's my name, top five in the, in the major leagues and spin rate and curveballs. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. Cause I mean, if you think about things for like, just, you know, purely the, the physics of what's going on on a curveball, you know, obviously the higher the spin rate, the, the higher the potential for, for movement and later movement. And, um, but I never, uh, I never thought about spin rate on my fastball. Um, if anything, I thought that spin rate was a bad thing on a fastball because I was a sinker baller. And um, the way I understood it and the way that I, I still do is that you have a certain, you have a spin angle and a spin rate. And then, you know, that the ball is just interacting in space with the air and the resistance of the air. And what, what my interpretation of it was, was that on a sinker, um, the lower, the better. So I thought, well, this is good. Cause I can, I can spin the ball. I can spin the heck out of a curveball, And I, and I have a lower spin rate on my two seamer, which at the time was what I primarily threw. I mean, I threw 60 to 70% two seamers. Um, and it wasn't until I got to 
the Astros that that was even a discussion part of the discussion and spin rate. Um, I never really thought about even my four seamer spin rate. I never did anything to change my angle, my hand or anything on my spin rate. I think what happened was um, because there's such a delta in movement between my two seamer and my sinker, and then even more so on my four seamer and my curveball, um, in, in terms of vertical movement, uh, that's when I started to think about exactly what was going on because guys over there like like Verlander would, would talk about it or guys would talk about uh, carry on a four-seamer. And I never even thought about carry on a four-seamer. Um, so I would say that, well, there was also a discussion too in 2018 about all of our spin rates. Um, and it wasn't until that time where I actually looked at my, the, the data and the charts and the graphs that I had access to. And you could see how uh, the, my fastball spin rates, especially my four seamers, they, they follow, they correlated with my pitch speeds. Hmm. So that's how it works, right? Cause like if I were to stand here and I were to flip you a four seamer, it wouldn't come out of my hand. If I flipped it to you at 30 miles an hour, it wouldn't come right. out at 2,400 RPM, right? So there's a, so there's a speed correlation with the, the amount of spin you're going to get, right? So it wasn't until I started throwing harder that my spin rate started to go up and it correlated perfectly on that, on right. that trend. Yeah. So, uh, that's really as that's as deep as I've gotten into it. I haven't done anything, like I said, to alter my, my spin rates. I mean, my, my curveball spin rates have remained pretty constant, like 28 to 3,100 RPM and my four seams, you know, uh, they basically stayed dependent on how hard I was throwing. Um, yeah, one of our, uh, one of our guys that we have on the, uh, is, is uh, one of our analytics guys, that's one of our coaches. He actually told me the other night that my four seamer is, uh, is, a, is a pitch that outperforms, is a pitch that outperforms the data. So, hmm. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know if that gave me confidence or took it away, which <laughs> I think what he's essentially saying is in, in terms of carry that I achieve or spin that I achieve on my four seamer, um, it plays better, it plays up for whatever reason. So I think I gave you the, uh, I, I think I did a decent job of the, the rundown. Yeah, I mean, bottom line, it's been a helpful data point for you. Even it, the, I would the, say, the, I would say no, because one, the, the gentleman that I spoke to yesterday basically said to me like, your, your four seamer basically, we can't explain why it's as effective as it is. <laughs> And I've and I've known now for a while that my curveball spin was good, but it took me another it took me another four years, you know, because you see it up on the TV and you're like, right. holy cow, I'm, I'm spinning the the heck out of this this curveball. Um, but it took me another four years till I got to, till I got to you know maybe uh, there there was there was discussion of the effectiveness of my curveball with the Phillies, the guys that the uh, Bob McClure and Rick Kranitz, they pulled me into a room and they were like, hey you need to throw this pitch a lot more. And unfortunately, I only lasted four starts with the Phillies. But the following year, when I got to the Astros, they said, hey, you need to throw this pitch, not just like five, 10% more, like 
15, 20, 30% more. And then when I got to the raise, there was even more. I mean, I was throwing my curveball last year, I think about 50% of the time. Um, so if you look at the, the path that it took for me to set, for me to see that on TV, where it was like, your spin rate's like 3,100 3, RPM or whatever in your, on your curveball. And for that to correlate in the confidence with my, my curveball, it actually took for uh, pitching coaches to, to say that to me, like, hey, you need to throw a lot more. So I wouldn't, I would say, I would say that's backwards. I would say more like, just because you know what your spin rates are, they don't necessarily correlate with what the ball is going to do. I think more, it's more of a potential and also the knowing what your spin rates are, um, maybe like maybe would give you more confidence to throw a certain pitch. Like if you could backspin a fat forcing fastball at 27, 2800 RPM, and you knew that you could go into a game saying, well, you know, assuming my, my, uh, my spin angle is pretty efficient. Like I should be able to carry this ball, but yeah, sorry about the. Oh, <laughs> great stuff. Thank you. Thank you. Tim Brown next. Yeah, I forgot my question. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the uh, the end of quarantine, and I know it's been like a really cool three months, really cool past month, um, but probably also long in some regards because of the the sort of the quarantine aspect of it. What are you most looking forward to doing once you're sort of spit out into the civilian life again? Uh, seeing my family. Uh, it's not even close. Um, just being there for my wife and kids and um, and just being able to sit down at breakfast or dinner together because um, that's every, everything to me. It's uh, the, the most important thing by far. Um, I'm looking forward to um, to getting out the our the our smoker and throwing some meat on there, and um, you know, but but obviously, and obviously though, you know, it nothing is really going to change from where we were before we came out here. Um, you know, we're still we're still going to you know be responsible at home, and um, but um, I'm looking forward to the the time with my family. Have your wife and children not been with you in, in the hotel? No, they haven't. Um, we tried to keep our, our two oldest ones in school. Got it. So obviously you just heard from Charlie Morton there. That press conference was before game six of the World Series. So obviously he was slated to start game seven, potentially could have been used out of the bullpen in game six. It wasn't to be, so I only used a few of the questions. It was a very long press conference. Um, but obviously he talked about his future there at the beginning. And then I left in a whole long rant that he had about spin rate, uh, which I thought was just vintage Charlie Morton had to leave that in there. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, and then, and then kind of talking about what, what going through quarantine was like, uh, for Charlie Morton. So this was a very Charlie Morton centric episode of raise your voice next week. We should have our state of the roster episode. We're going to take a deeper look into some of the decisions that were made by the Rays that we ran through at the beginning of this show. 
um, some potential decisions the Rays are going to have to make before the non-tender and Rule 5 deadlines. They've obviously got to make room on the 40-man roster to add the new players that are going to be Rule 5 draft eligible. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of explain all of that, too, if you're unsure what that means in next week's episode. Um, but it's going to be a good one. We're going to kind of prime not only what the roster looks like now, but maybe how they plan to add to it or improve it throughout the offseason. So thank you to, uh, to Danny, as, uh, as always, for hopping on. He was obviously on every single episode of the Playoff Podcast series. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Make sure to check out all of the great coverage of this offseason on DRaysBay.com. There's already some great coverage, and we've got a lot of great stuff planned to get you through the winter months. And uh, just a reminder, if you want each of these episodes downloaded directly to your device, it's going to be Raise Your Voice. It's going to be The Hit Show. But like I said, back to your regularly scheduled programming. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast feed. And, and the best way to spread what we do to more and more Rays fans is to rate and review our podcast feed if your platform allows it, whatever you use to listen to us. Um, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.